Welcome to this Thursday evening meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. This evening's message is by Paul Abel. In Isaiah 56 verse 7, God says, through Isaiah, These I will bring to my holy mountain. I give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. <clears throat> so this has been a significant week because we've started to use the prayer room. I don't know if you've had a personal chance yet. Many of you have, I'm sure. Uh, I, had the, I was in there Tuesday evening. And already you, you walk into the place and uh, you know this room is being used for prayer. It's got that uh, sense of I like being here. Love God. <laughs> well, even more importantly, perhaps, I think he says, I like you being here as well. So as we walk in, it's, you know, even as I say that, I think, actually, you can hear that two ways. You can hear that with life, or you can hear that as a command, you know. I like you being here. If you think God is in heaven, looking down rather sternly, calling you to accountability, waiting behind a tree to see if you do something wrong so he can call you out, you're going to hear, i like you to be here with me, as a kind of, why the heck aren't you here? <laughs> Where are you? You should be using this. Or you can just hear God's heart, i like to be with you. <laughs> the same one that called out to Adam, where are you, Adam? That same heart that just passionately wants to be with us. I'd like to be here with you. It's funny how the same thing can mean different things depending on sometimes just where we are in our walk with God, but definitely for a lot of people, on whether they really know that God loves them. And yet we have this book, which is a love story. It's a complex one because it involves everybody that's ever lived. So you'd imagine it to be complex in that sense. It's complex in the sense of the number of individuals that God encounters, but it's also very simple. It's a message of a broken relationship and God bringing people to a place where they know they need it to be restored. <laughs> then he provides the restoration in Jesus. And now we live in that particular time of the year of God's favor, as Scripture called it, the time of the Gentiles being saved and added into the church and God having a heart for the people of Israel. These I will bring to my holy mountain. So it's obviously important who these are, and if I hadn't plucked it out of uh, context, you'd be able to see it. But the these are an interesting bunch because they include his sons and his daughters. Well, that's obvious. You'd expect God to want to bring them and make them happy. He says, that's basically what gives them joy in thy house of prayer is. It's that they'll be happy. <laughs> Don't you think it's quite nice that God wants us to be happy? It's almost too simple for God, that word, happy. <laughs> but actually, he is the perfect parent. And how many parents, at least good parents, do you know that, do, that, that delight when their children are happy? All parents delight. If, they've got their lo if they love their children. All parents delight and are, ha and are overjoyed when their children are happy. They just get happy themselves. If you hear your child or your grandchildren come to that, giggling and laughing, it just makes you happy. It's infectious. And God loves to see us happy. And yeah, I do think it makes him happy. You know, happiness comes from God, so he must be a happy God. Not always just with a miserable look on his face because of all the sinners in the world. Actually, he is saddened over those that he's not connected with, but he's also very happy with those he is. So when you walk into that prayer room, or as we gather tonight, God is happy. He's pleased. He's joyful. And that's why scripture says, Zephaniah 3.17, that he rejoices over us with dancing and singing. There's a joyfulness in that. The dancing is, the word used is like leaping and dancing about. It's not, you know, something, it's not a Christian worship dance. 
or maybe just the swaying. I'm dancing to the Lord. It, this is an absolute enjoying the person who is dancing over. And God's going to dance tonight. He never really stops. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit constantly on mission and being sent and connecting with people and filling you with the Holy Spirit and receiving a prayer. And we join that dance. Abraham, when the three visited him, three visitors approach him. And very strangely there in Genesis, he says, he calls the three strangers, my Lord. And more than once, he refers to this group of three in the singular of Lord, which is very odd. Sometimes it's supposed that maybe they are the Lord, Jesus himself, and two angels. I have a sneaky suspicion that it was the Trinity themselves that visited Abraham that day, because he was a friend of God. But even though, even though whether it was Jesus and two angels, or three angels, or the Trinity, they were there as God's representative. And Abraham, who is an incredibly important man, recognizes their importance because he personally serves them at the table. So normally you'd had a servant bring them the food. But Abraham does it. Uh, but the one thing he doesn't do that we will do tonight is he doesn't join them. Because he's still, well, he was still living under the old covenant, but he was a friend of God. But fear really kept him back. We don't know what would have happened if Abraham had sat at the table with them. I imagine God would have poured him a glass of wine and said, join in, because that's what he's always been about. But he didn't join him through fear of who these strangers were. Because Abraham was a friend of God, but he had never <coughs> experienced this before. But tonight, we actually do join Jesus at the table that he started the day before he was crucified. This one over here, the table of communion, where we have the, the wine to symbolize his blood. Become for us his blood in a way, not like the Catholic way of actually being his blood, but it's as we drink this, we're reminded of what he did. But it's not just that we're reminded, it's that we become one with what he did. And all our fears and insecurities and everything actually are washed clean by the blood, paid for by the blood. That's what repentance means. It means turning from your own understanding, doing it your own way, thinking you can make it, and acknowledging there's no way but his way. That he is the Lord and Saviour. And changing your mind about even who you are personally, really, because... It's what he is and what he says we are. And as we drink the cup, it's that Lord have mercy moment upon us where the mercy of God is not just enabling us to be forgiven, but is establishing us on a road to walking in holiness. When we drink this tonight, The reality is that's one of the times that you can be closer to God than at any other time. There aren't many things that Jesus said do. You know, there's not many things he set up. I don't mean not many things he said do, but not many sort of religious, I'll say religious, religious ways of doing something that have meaning. For example, he never focused on how you pray, yet we put our hands in the air, which is a biblical thing. If you went to an Orthodox or Catholic or High Anglican church, after praying they will cross themselves like that. Actually, that's the Orthodox way. 
But that's not in the Bible. There's no harm in it. It's not, not biblical. For them, it's a form of prayer. It's a reminder that they are completely saved in the cross. But Jesus didn't instigate that one. He does say that he nails in prayer. And we often kneel in prayer. And of course the normal way to to pray was to stand and have hands in the air. So he certainly did that. But this was one of the few things he said, do this in remembrance of me. So how significant must it be when you think how important prayer is? And the things people do in prayer to, to pray. I mean, kneeling isn't just kneeling. kneeling. Kneeling is a prayer because it's a surrender immediately, isn't it? Being on your face before God is making yourself helpless before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You, you, the, the, if you did it to an earthly king, at that point, you are completely in their power if they're in front of you. They can just kill you if they want because they'll usually have a sword with them. And when you stand with your hands in the air, well, we've done the, the whole understanding of what each hand means, the cutting off of the enemy and the receiving from heaven. So these are all significant, but Jesus never really personally talked on them. He just said, do this in remembrance of me. One of the other things he did tell us to do, of course, is to be baptized. And that, as you all know, is equally as important, if not more so, because you have to be baptized, really, to take part in this. So I say that because this can become quite normal, and sometimes in our sort of church tradition it can be almost a bit of a nuisance from, it interrupts the worship, or interrupts the message, or interrupts the prayer. This is the message. This is the worship. This is the prayer. And it's one of the few things that Jesus said, do this. Because prayer is never just what we say. It's also what we do, how we are, and what we do with the prayer. So when we talk about the house of prayer, there is no other great, greater way to pray than to remember Jesus in the communion. God says, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I said it was the sons and the daughters, but the other, another group within the collection of these are foreigners. Of course, this is Isaiah speaking to the Jewish people. So foreigners are everybody else, <laughs> basically. And God is saying the foreigners are going to come into my house of prayer. Well, of course they are. They're going to come because of this. The foundation of that room upstairs is this. The foundation is a, it's not just a prayer room, it is a house of prayer. These are called to be in it, the foreigners. Today, foreigners can have quite a negative connotation, especially in what's going on with Brexit at the moment, and we want to keep the foreigners out. It's not safe to let them in. All kinds of political things. We have President Trump building a wall across the bottom of America to keep the foreigners out because they are a danger. And yet here is God saying, let the foreigners come into the most safe place. The house of prayer. Because God has a different worldly view. I don't want to talk about politics or anything. No, let me carry on. God is about welcoming into the house of prayer. One other group that's in this little bit is the eunuchs. The eunuch is, was significant because the eunuch signified unfruitfulness. So usually a eunuch was not allowed into these sort of things because they were less than perfect. And yet God is saying, let even the eunuchs come. He does say the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath. So he's referring to those that are beginning to come to know him in some way. 
And he talks of giving these people an everlasting name that will endure forever. Of course, that name is Jesus. And these people come into the house of the Lord, the house of prayer. And the word house there, it can mean a temple. It can mean a palace. But the most normal way of using the word is the family home. Let these people come to the family home of prayer. Isn't that, to me, that's a much more beautiful picture than a palace. Palaces are full of intrigue and all sorts of other devious dealings. Temples often, even the Lord's temple, often ended up a political minefield. And we all know what happens when you start going down that route. But this is a family home of prayer for all peoples, God declares. It's not that he just unconditionally lets everybody in. Everybody thinks God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional in the sense that there's nothing we can do really except that what he's done for us. But then God does tell us to do all kinds of things. He would never stop loving us, but there are conditions. It's only unconditional. Unconditional doesn't mean just do whatever you want. If there's love, you want to show that love by doing things. And... uh, Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. They're acceptable because they're doing what God has told them to do. So it's a place to come because they're acceptable. Acceptable, again, is this. It's the body and blood of Jesus that makes us acceptable. There's no one unacceptable. There's no one who cannot join the dance. As long as they come the way God has given them. So it's not an unconditional, just let anyone in, do whatever you want. This is, everyone is welcome. And the house of prayer, the family house of prayer, is a place where the people who know the Lord. Now a place really, for us, is just where we're gathered. Jesus described it as where two or three are gathered. You can put aside special places, like the prayer room, but of course... The place, the house of prayer, is where we are. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that his spirit lives in you? So you yourselves are a house of prayer. A place where God dwells by his spirit. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For me, it's just a beautiful picture of all these people from all these backgrounds coming to know God and those that know God. And then when they know God, they've got joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Well, we don't have to sacrifice any lambs or goats upstairs in the uh, room. We've lost the plot if we do that. But uh, the burnt offerings and sacrifices are, are of ourselves giving to God. And I was chatting with people this week. Sometimes when you talk of making a sacrifice or making a commitment or on all this kind of language, it's very easy to go down the route of got to do it because it's my duty. I must do this. It's, it's what I should do. It's a duty. But there's another one over here that says, I, w- I will do this because I love God. But very often, for example, if you look at Jesus' command, if you will obey me, you will do what I command. It's a bit like that invitation I gave at the beginning. You can hear it in two ways. If you love me, you will do what I command. You can hear a kind of, well, I obviously don't love God enough because I'm not getting it right. I'm not doing everything he wants. I'm failing. Or you can even hear it as a direct command. You must do what I tell you 
or you're not really loving me at all. So you think over here, right, there's lots of lists of things I ought to do. I better get on with them. And yet over here is God in love saying, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, show the love you have for me by doing what I command. Bring me the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And you say, oh, so if I'm here then, I only do... And it's very easy to do this. I only do this side when I feel like it, when I delight in it. And right at this moment, I'm not delighting in anything. So I shouldn't even be here. That's not what Jesus is saying either. The main point I want to make out of this, as I wrap that up and the house of prayer up, and we pray tonight in the house of prayer, is... This whole thing about when you think in your head, I ought to do it. And some people get really het up thinking, no, that's wrong because that means I'm doing it out of sense of duty. Duty comes, if you're in the army or the RAF or forces like that or perhaps even in a company, you do many, many things out of duty, not out of love. You do it because you have to. It's fear of punishment. Or if you work for somebody, the fear of if I don't do it, I won't get paid. There's no connection. There's no relationship in that kind of obedience, even though it looks similar to that one. So I ought to do it. Can you get to here with I ought to? Of course you can. If... Michelle here is suddenly taken really ill. <laughs> this is a mass fantasy scenario. We're not speaking it over her. If she's suddenly taken really ill, there's absolutely no doubt that one of us would make sure, if not more than that, that she gets home safe. You probably, Or you go to the hospital with her and wait in the hospital waiting room, depending on, on what it is. You know, she might even be ill all over you. But you would still help her. Because you ought to. Yes, because you ought to, but because you love her. You see, you're doing what you ought to do. You're not going to help Michelle thinking, yip-de-doo, this is great, she's not well. I love it when she's not well. (laughs) I'm really enjoying carrying her to her car or whatever. I mean, I'm being slightly facetious, I know. But when you do things in love, you don't always love doing them. You love what you're doing them for. So there are many things. I know you come over here. You do them out of a sense, well, I ought to do them. But really, the ought to do is coming because you love that person. When we get home tonight, it's rubbish night. I can't remember whether it's blue or green. Bags. But I ought to go and put them out. I could just leave them for Kate to do. But she works very hard and I love her and she does more around the house than me anyway. So it's one of those few things that I can do with no issue. Just get on, just do it. I do not love doing it. I do not think, yippee, Thursday night, I'm home. It's half past ten or whatever time it is. And I get to go and collect up any rubbish around the house, put it all in the bin, tie it in in a knot, stick them all in our black sack because we don't have bins where we are, and put the sack out the front of the house ready for the bin man tomorrow. Yes, that's fantastic. What a great task that is. I suppose if I was a saint in the sense of you know, uh, the colloquial sense, other than the biblical sense, I might just possibly. But if I'm just a real person, I don't like doing that. And if you think, well, that's Jesus would have loved putting the rubbish out. <laughs> he would have skipped to the door with a black sack. I can tell you Jesus did not like the idea of going to the cross. It's a little bit worse than putting the rubbish out. But, you know, we're talking about Jesus now. He didn't want to go. We know he didn't. He prayed that with his father. He knew what was ahead. 
So sometimes when we're thinking about this side, we get very, we can get confused if we think everything is just wonderful. Sometimes you just do it because you love Jesus. You help that person. You give up the free time that you had to go and do something because you care and because you love. So, yes, it's very similar to ought to. I ought to do that because I love them, not I ought to do that because I'm afraid of what people will say or do or not pay me or I'll get into trouble. One is fear and one is love. One brings connection with the people that you're trying to help and this one brings a disconnection. On the surface, they can look really, really similar. But one is God's way and one is not. It says of Jesus that he considered it pure, pure joy as he set his face like flint towards the cross. But he wasn't joyful at the fact that he was going to suffer pain. That would be mentally unhealthy. The joy was he knew what the results would be. He knew how others would be blessed. And that's often where love and joy come together because you know that this will bless others, this will benefit others. We're going to step across the threshold into the house of prayer, start with communion in about two minutes now. And there's a joy. I mean, maybe before you came out tonight, you were thinking, I'd quite like to just relax a bit and chill. Or maybe you did want to come. Both are valid. But you're here, and I hope everybody is here because of love. Love for God and love one for another. And then we meet at the table. Because unlike Abraham, we're not afraid to join with God, to encounter him, to meet with him. We are friends like Abraham. But now we have become his children. We are that close to God. We come because we love. So let's go into the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. That's what all that was about. For my house will be called a house of prayer, a family home for all nations. All people groups, all ethnicities. When that was written, all nations, the word there that we use for nations, obviously it was a Hebrew word that we translate as nations. If we talk about nations, we think of England, Scotland, France. Nations. But nations like nations have really only existed for a few hundred years. Before that, there were the people that followed a king. But really what it refers to is people groups. Ethnicities. When you read nations in the New Testament, it's ethnos. I can't remember what it is in the Hebrew, but it's the same meaning. It's people groups. So when God says all nations, it means all people. All people groups. So as we look around this town... There's no one for whom that room is not for. Isn't that amazing? There's some for whom have no concept of even the idea that a, house, a prayer room could exist. There are some that have no desire whatsoever to go and be involved in church. One guy said to me last week when they were playing games, I don't know how I ended up inside a church building. What am I doing here? He was chatting away. He was enjoying it, but it was like, oh, this is madness. I never thought I'd come in this building. And as he finished his... It wasn't nasty, but I just said, I said to him, well, do you know who you're talking to? And he, he said, no. And lots of people there obviously did, the ones from Scarborough. And he was from Scarborough. I said, well, I'm the church minister. No. 
<laughs> you can't be. You look too normal, sort of thing. And the conversation carried on. It's a house of prayer for him too. That he would know and celebrate Christ at this table. I pray for many more times I could connect with him and we can continue our conversation. Because one mighty, mighty barrier has been crossed. We don't all have horns and a tail. I know that sounds kind of weird, but they kind of feel like that about us. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Shall we stand as a kind of stepping into that house of prayer? Let's have the worship team forward. And I want to invite you. An invitation to come and sit at the table that Jesus instigated. The night before he was going to be taken to the cross. He sat down and instigated the new covenant with a group of people who were all about to betray him. One of them was even going to arrange it. But all of them sat with him there at that table. We're going to run away, hide, and some, like Peter, would even deny him, even to a servant girl, through fear. But through love, Jesus met with them, started it, celebrated anyway. Because he doesn't look just at this moment. He always looks. You can start, yeah, that's great. He always looks at the whole of our lives. So you may have had a bad week or a good week. You may have sinned badly or not sinned badly. But the moment at the table is but a moment in time. But the wine and the bread are for all of eternity. When we eat the bread and drink this wine shortly, we are as much at the foot of the cross as if we'd been there on that day. We're not only at the foot of the cross. We are there when the gravestone is rolled away. We are there when it's discovered that it is empty because Jesus has gone. We're there with Mary when she meets him. And he says to her, Mary, suddenly she recognizes her Lord. First he thinks she might even be the gardener. Once she's heard her name in that way, he says her name, she knows. As we drink the wine and eat this bread, in the spirit, or maybe even more than that, who knows? You're here. Jesus, call your name. Because he died for you. Yet we're not even there at that moment moment only because we're also there on the day when he was with his disciples telling them go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you including what I've just said (laughs) we're also there when he was taken up into heaven away from them and the angels said what are you looking up there for which they said because that period of their lives was over and now they were going to wait for the other counsellor that Jesus had talked about, another one of the same the Holy Spirit and they waited fearfully in an upper room at one time and we're there at that time too as we take hold of this bread and this wine because they're all the key moments that are tied into it Jesus appeared in the room even though it was locked peace he said to them shalom peace be to you shalom alechum peace be to you
weeks to come very soon. And even right now, as we stand before the table, He breathes His Holy Spirit upon us, reminding us that we are a sent people.
so much through those tears Jesus is there having called your name he says it again hallelujah Jesus there he is with his arms outstretched he said to Mary don't hold on to me because he had yet to go and complete his work and his place was no longer on earth with Mary his place was sat at the right hand of the Father so don't hold on to me Mary don't hold me where I've been for where I am going means the Holy Spirit will come and engage with all people Jesus reaches out to you right now you might not physically see him but you can certainly take hold of it hallelujah Jesus grab hold of him grab hold of him worship him be hugged by him enjoy his presence he's happy to be in your presence so be happy to be in his. Yes, you feel me with joy in your thoughts
listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.